We are, I believe, because we're closer and closer to the Lord's return than ever before, that we may be even in the last of the last days. And opportunity still abounds for people to come to know Jesus and for God's word to go forth and for the church to be built up and get ready for the Lord's return. And so that's part of, of what my ministry is all about and, and many others. And we are all doing our part in the body of Christ and for the kingdom's sake. But this, rather than doing just a prophecy study, although I have taught that before and can do that again, but I really felt from the Lord that he wanted his church, his people, to know what their future holds. So we're going to talk more about that as we get into future lessons. But the first thing we needed to do is understand where we are today, and we also need to understand a little bit about the book of Revelation. So in the last lesson, in lesson five, we did a um, snapshot view of the book of Revelation, and we went all the way through it. And I would encourage you, I would encourage you to read the book of Revelation and do it over two or three day period of time. Do it very quickly. It's only 22 chapters. You can do that over, you know, three or four days uh, very quickly. But if you do that, it may or may not have the same effect on you. But when the Lord told me to do that several years ago, this is what it did for me. It showed me that there's, there's really only two groups of people. That's it. No matter what your nationality is, your ethnicity, your color, your, um, your size, shape, your gender, your age, it doesn't matter. There are two groups of people. One whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life and one whose names are not. And the book of Revelation tells us exactly what the future holds for both groups. It tells those whose names are not in the Lamb's Book of Life exactly what's ahead for them. And it is truly doom and gloom of the worst kind that you can imagine. But it is the truth and we talked about that in last week's lesson because it's important. We have to, we can't just pick and choose from the Word of God. We have to be faithful to the truth of the Word. The good news, however, is even if you're in that camp right now, you don't have to stay there. There is a God who loves you. There is a Lord Jesus who will save you in just a moment's time. And we're going to talk more about that tonight. Because tonight we're going to focus on those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And we're going to talk a little bit more about what is this book. If there's one book that matters and your name's either in there or it's not, and your entire eternal destiny is determined by this book, then we want to know more about this Lamb's Book of Life. Tonight we need to understand what's this book all about? What is it? Where does it come from? How, how, how is anybody's name in there? So we need to understand that. Now, I want to just point out one quick thing from, from Jewish tradition and Jewish observances. They have one day of the year that's extremely holy to them. It's their holiest day. And they're, they're, it's the festival of the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur. It's the one day of the year when the temple was standing when the priest could enter the temple and go behind the veil into the most holy place with the blood of an animal and apply it to the mercy seat. Only one day a year. That was it. They could not enter behind the veil 
ever again after that until the next Day of Atonement. It was only during that one time. And I've done a Feast of the Lord study, and you can certainly look that up if you like. But today I want to mention that only for this one reason. Because every year on the Day of Atonement, they give each other a blessing, and it's a wish for them. And this is what they say. They say, may your name be inscribed in the Book of Life for another year. May your name be inscribed in the Book of Life for another year. That's the blessing that the Jewish people will give to each other and wish for each other on the Day of Atonement. However, the Lord Jesus Christ, who fulfilled this feast, speaks much better things. And we're going to read a bunch of scripture tonight. But I want to start in Hebrews chapter 9 with verses 11 and 12. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all, once for all, having obtained eternal redemption eternal redemption, obtained eternal redemption. No more of this we have to be inscribed for another year. Oh, hallelujah. Once the name is there, it's eternal redemption. We are, we are inscribed in the Lamb's book of life. Hallelujah. Praise God. Because Jesus, through his blood and because of his work, on the day of atonement that he fulfills, our names are inscribed there eternally not just for a year. And notice and remember that the veil was torn in two from top to bottom in the moment of his death and his final cry. It is finished before he died. No more one day a year, access only, but the way to the Father is open now to every believer at any moment's time. Hallelujah. So we are talking about this Lamb's Book of Life. We saw that the book of Revelation can be summed into two groups. Your name's either in the book of life or it's not. That's it. And the book of Revelation tells you what happens to each group. And so we want to talk about this Lamb's book of life. And to do that, as I mentioned, we're going to look at a bunch of different scriptures. I've got a bunch of scriptures marked. And so hang with me tonight because we are in an awesome study. And God has a good word that he wants people to hear. It's a good word from the Lord, and it's a word of hope for, for people this day. Hallelujah. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 27, it says this, But there shall by no means enter it, talking about heaven, anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So, we know that there is this Lamb's Book of Life. There's one book that matters at the end of our lives, whether our name is there or not. So let's talk about it. What is this, and how is a name written there? Well, first of all, let's understand it belongs. It's the Lamb's. Hallelujah. We need to understand who the Lamb is. And we as Christians already know that. We know that the Lamb is Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, John 
in John chapter 1, verse 29, he boldly declared it. He pointed to Jesus and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So we know it is Jesus. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 6, we see him standing in heaven. In Revelation 5, 6, we see him and, he, and John sees him. And he says, And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the world, all the earth. So John sees him, and he is a, like a lamb, but the lamb has been slain. You know, when they would slay the Passover lambs and the other lambs that they would slay for sacrifices, the bulls and the goats and all of those things, they were dead. They didn't live again. But this lamb, Jesus, he was slain, but he is alive and alive forevermore. In Revelation 13, verse 8, it says this, All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Talking about those in the tribulation time period that don't that that don't know Jesus and don't want to know Jesus but he's saying these are the ones whose names have not been written in the book of life of the lamb it's his book we see in revelation chapter 21 where we were a minute ago in verse 14 we see now the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the lamb so we see this, this word for the Lamb always in reference to Jesus. There's only one occurrence when it's not. It's used 30 times in the New Testament. And of those times, 29 of them are in Revelation and always speaking of the Lamb of God or Jesus Christ. The only other time it's used in the New Testament is when Jesus was talking to Peter in John 21 and he told him, he said, feed my lambs. So it's referring to people there, but specifically 29 out of the 30 times that it's used in the New Testament, it's talking about the Lamb of God. So it's the Lamb's book or a scroll. It's a written document and it's the Lamb's book of life. Now, it cannot be speaking of physical life only because the only time it's opened is after everybody's dead, after, after the end. So it is not speaking of physical life. It is speaking of what Jesus referred to as eternal life. This is the life that Jesus spoke about all the time in his ministry. So from these, we know that this Lamb's Book of Life means a written document in a scroll or a book of all the names of those who have eternal life in the Lamb and because of the Lamb of God. So that leads us to ask two questions then. What event is it that causes a person's name to get written there and how is the name there? How is it written? Who writes it? So let's explore those, okay? Some believe and wonder if maybe all people's names are written there and then only those who believe in Jesus are the ones that remain and everybody else gets erased out. Others believe, as I do, it's, it's the opposite, that P 
people's names are specifically written in there when this event in their life happens. Now, the end result will be the same, but we do know this, that only those who believe in Jesus will be found there. They're the only ones that have eternal life. And we're going to understand why that is here in just a little bit. If all who have eternal life are the ones who are written there, then how does a person have eternal life? Eternal life is sired or fathered in a person's heart or soul through this, through this event that we're fixing to read about. Jesus spoke much about this. As a matter of fact, he called it born again. He talked about being born again. And perhaps you've heard that term over and over. Perhaps you maybe even share it all the time and say it yourself all the time. We talk about being born again. What does it mean? Well, by God's grace tonight, you will understand much more about what it means. I want to read a passage of scripture in John chapter 3. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And we need to understand the backstory here. And we're going to talk about that when we get done with this passage. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Some versions say enter. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So here we see Jesus' discourse to Nicodemus about this concept of being born again and having eternal life. So now let's understand what he's really talking about here. So let's fill in the gaps. First of all, we need to understand who Nicodemus is. He's a teacher of the Jews. He is, he's a leader. He's an elder. He's a Sanhedrinist. He was a Pharisee. 
He knew the Old Testament. It was his job. It was his job to know it, and he was supposed to understand it because he was expected to be a teacher of it. The mission for the Sanhedrin is found in the book of Numbers, and I don't believe I looked this one up, so I'm going to quickly flip there. But in the book of Numbers, chapter 11, verse 16 through 25, you will find where Moses gave the instruction about the Sanhedrin and about the elders of, of Israel. And it says, beginning in verse 16, So the Lord said to Moses, Gather to me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them. Bring them to the tabernacle of meeting, that they may stand there with you. Then I will come down and talk with you there. I will take of the spirit that is upon you and will put the same upon them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you, that you may not bear it yourself alone. And then he goes on and he gives further instructions to them in that passage about exactly what their job was. But part of it was to be teachers of the people and to help Moses in the work. So Jesus chides Nicodemus because Nicodemus was supposed to understand this new concept that Jesus was talking about, about being born again and having eternal life, and that being the requirement for being in heaven. So Jesus expected Nicodemus to understand that. Now Nicodemus represents to us the highly religious crowd. Oh, he was steeped in religion and in legalism, but Jesus cut straight to the heart, and he told him, he said, you know, you know about religion, and you know about legalism, but you don't know anything about a relationship. Nicodemus had to come to understand that the religion didn't give him spirit life. Jesus expounds immediately on what he's talking about. He says it like this. He says you have to be born of water and born of the spirit. Anyone and everyone is born of water through a physical birth. We all have experienced that through our, our mother and through our birth. So he's saying here that it has to be human beings are the ones that can be born again. They're born of water first, but then they also have to be born of the spirit through a supernatural or spiritual birth. Now, this is where Nicodemus needed the revelation. He had the physical part. He understood that part. But religion never showed him anything about spirit birth. Dead, dry letter of the law had no spirit in it. And so Nicodemus couldn't understand that concept. So to help him, Jesus says, okay, the wind, hear the wind. Compare it with the spirit. The wind is invisible. You don't see it. And it, it's a work that works deep inside of a person. Just, you know, he's contrasting the wind with being born of the Spirit. And he's saying the wind is invisible, but it has a work that it does. And you see the effects of that work, even if you can't see the wind. You hear the leaves rustle. You see the leaves blow. You see the trees bend. You know what it, it's done but you can't define it. You can't see it particularly. He's, he's contrasting 
this spiritual life with that. And he's saying it's the same thing. The spirit, when the spirit births life, eternal life in us, it's a deep work that happens inside of a person. And it may not be seen right away. You can't necessarily see it, but you will see the fruit of it. The fruit of it will come to pass and will become evident. So why is it that Jesus is rebuking him for a lack of understanding? Remember, Nicodemus is steeped in the Old Testament. He knows it, probably left and right, backwards and forwards, memorized it, knows every chapter and verse, so to speak. But yet, he does not know or perceive the truth about being born again of the Spirit. So, Jesus, by him expecting Nicodemus to know this, when he says to him, you're a teacher of Israel and you don't understand this, that tells us that Nicodemus should have known it. If Nicodemus should have known it, and all that they had, the only scripture they had at that time was the Old Testament, then Jesus is telling Nicodemus, it's there. It's in the Old Testament. So, where in the Old Testament is this concept that Jesus came on the scene talking about? about being born again, about having spirit life and a spirit birth. Jesus makes it clear here, this isn't new. A teacher of Israel who knew the Old Testament should have understood this concept. It's not necessarily a New Testament concept. It was prophesied in the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, I'm fixing to show you three different authors that attest to this. The first one is Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it says this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, I read it like all of our English Bibles generally read it, and that is Everlasting Father. But our English Bibles don't do justice to the true Hebrew behind that because the words translated Everlasting Father in our Bibles literally in the Hebrew mean Father of Eternity. Father of Eternity. That is who Jesus is. Now, we see the names of Christ here. We normally study this particular passage more about Christmas time, and it's something that is worthy of study at Christmas. But I want to focus on this Aviad. That's what it is in the Hebrew. Aviad, Father of Eternity. That is the literal translation. And it refers to the one who procreates or who creates and originates eternal life. He is the only one who can sire eternal life in all who accept him. He is the source of it. He, it is found in him and in no other. He alone creates it. Many scriptures attest to this, and I want to read a few of these, but I want to give you the references of these as well. First of all, we have John 3, 
14 through 16, which we just read a little bit ago when we started. And that talks about God giving eternal life and wanting no one to perish, but everyone to come to eternal life. Then we find it in John chapter 5, verse 24. And it says this, Most assuredly I say to you, He who hears my words, Jesus is speaking, He who hears my words and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Hallelujah. That's one of the passages that speaks about this eternal life. John chapter 6, verse 40 and 47. In verse 40, it says, And this is the will of him who sent me. This is Jesus speaking again. That everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. And then in verse 47, he speaks again about it. John chapter 10, verse 22 through 30, especially verse 28, also speaks about this. John chapter 12, verse 50, also says it. John chapter 17, this is Jesus' prayer. In verse 2 and 3, he's praying to the Father and he says, As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should, that he, meaning me, Jesus, Jesus is praying here, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Beloved, he not only tells us who gives us eternal life, who is the one who can sire it, who can create it in the heart of a believer, those who come to know Jesus, but he also defines what it is for us. And eternal life is not about dead, dry religion. Nicodemus was steeped in dead, dry religion. He knew it. He had all the legalism. He had all the do's and don'ts down. But he did not have spirit life. And Jesus cut straight to his heart and he said, this is what you're missing, this Nicodemus. You got a religion, but you don't have a relationship. It's about a relationship with me. Eternal life is knowing me, knowing me, knowing the Father. Hallelujah. That's what it's all about. Oh, hallelujah. And that's still what, what eternal life is all about. It is not about religion. It is about a relationship with a person. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Then in John chapter 20, verse 30 through 31, I want to read this because John tells us right here his reason for writing this book. And this is why you will find that most of the occurrences of eternal life, it's used, 30, uh, it's used 64 times in the New Testament. And 34 of those are found in John's writings, either in his Gospels or in his epistles. This was what was burning in his heart, was for people to have eternal life. That's what, that's what motivated him. He wanted to share the message of Jesus so people could have eternal life. And he tells us that in John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, he says, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life 
or eternal life in his name. Hallelujah. John continues on in his epistle in 1 John chapter 2, verse 25, 24 and 25. He writes about it, and he also writes about it in 1 John chapter 5, verse 11 through 13. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. It is not anywhere else to be found. There is no other source of eternal life because Jesus, who was prophesied by Isaiah, is the Father of eternity. He is the one that possesses it. He is the one it originates with, and he is the only one who can create it in the heart of anyone who will come to him. And so this life is found in his son. He goes on, John does in his epistle, and he says, he who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. Oh, they may have physical life, but they don't have spiritual life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. He wanted the believers to have assurance of their salvation, of knowing Jesus and having eternal life. Then we see in Romans chapter 6, Verse 23, Paul also attests to it. In chapter 6, verse 23, he says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Where? In Christ Jesus our Lord. It is found there and found nowhere else. Jesus is the Father of eternity that Isaiah prophesied about. Paul also writes about it in Titus 1, verses 1 through 3. So we have the mouth of two witnesses, both John and Paul, speaking of it throughout the New Testament in various places. Eternal life is found in Jesus Christ. But I also want to show you one other passage where it's found that it speaks about it in the Old Testament. Remember, we want to see where it was found in the Old Testament as well. And that is in the book of Daniel, the prophet Daniel. In Daniel chapter 12, we read in verse 1 through 3, we read these words. At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time, and at that time your people shall be delivered. Everyone who is found written in the book, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. I'll stop there. And that goes along with what we were talking about, about there's really only two. And even Daniel here attests to that because he says, everybody whose name is found written in the book, then you're going to awake to everlasting life and others will awake to shame and everlasting contempt. So we have to understand 
that Daniel also, like Isaiah, was attesting to this in the Old Testament. So this is why Jesus is chiding Nicodemus, and he tells him, you should know that. Now, we also see in the New Testament where Jesus is referred to as the only begotten of the Father, or the only one that God literally birthed in a, in a natural fashion. We find that in John chapter 1, verses 14 and 18. John chapter 3, just like we read earlier, verse 16 and 18. And then we also find it in Acts chapter 13, verse 33, and in the book of Hebrews 5 and 5, chapter 5 and verse 5, and Hebrews 1 and 5. So we see that both Luke and the author of Hebrews are testifying these things by quoting that he is the son that was begotten, also prophesied by the author of Psalm 2, Psalm 2, verse 7, which we assume to be David, but it's not named. Notice also he is the only begotten Son of God, the Father. And we find that for our, for our reading in Luke chapter 1. And we see in the, in the beloved story in Luke chapter 1, where the angel Gabriel comes to Mary. And he tells her in verse 30, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, not just any son, the son prophesied by Isaiah in Isaiah 9-6, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. He is the son of God and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And then Mary just asks, she says, well, how can this be? Because I'm a virgin. And so the angel says to her in verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of of God. So he was born, he was begotten of the Father, and he was born of eternal seed. He was conceived, born of the eternal seed of the Rhema Word of God, the eternal seed of eternal life that was created through the power of the Holy Spirit of God. He is the only person ever that has been born of God's own eternal seed in the natural as a human being. He is one of a kind. He is sole and the only one. He was sired with eternal seed, and his blood is eternal, not mortal. His blood is eternal, and therefore it is always working. It is always washing away sin as often as needed, as many times over as needed, as for however long it's needed. Praise be to God. His blood is eternal. Hallelujah. This also proves to us the importance of the virgin birth and the divine conception that he had. He was sired with an eternal seed because he was born of the eternal seed that bears eternal life. Therefore, he and he alone 
can birth eternal life in someone else. So we see that he is the father of eternity, the only begotten of the Father God, and that he is the originator and source of the eternal seed of God, of the rhema word of God that grants eternal life to all who believe he is the father of eternity that Isaiah prophesied about. So every time in the New Testament that Jesus refers to himself as giving eternal life or of God the Father speaking of him as being the source or giver of eternal life, he was referencing the audience back to Isaiah's prophecy about Messiah that clearly prophesied him to be the father of eternity. Hallelujah. So the Old Testament is speaking to us about being born again through the father of eternity, the only one who can sire and cause anyone to be born again. So what does born again mean? And how do we understand it? Literally, the word again, when it says born again, in this passage in John chapter 3, it literally means born from above. Born from the very first. Born from the higher place. Born from above. So Jesus, as the Father of eternity, is the only one who was born of the living seed of the rhema word, thereby being the living word, and the only one who can now impregnate or sire in a repentant sinner eternal life, totally overcoming the wages of sin's destiny and transferring that person from death into life, from spiritual death into eternal life with God. Christ conquered death and was raised to life again, never to die again. He overcame sin and death and the wages of sin. So when a person is repentant of sin and believes on Jesus in simple faith, they become justified or just as if I'd never sinned. The Spirit of God then sires in them the living seed of Jesus, the living Word, and they are now born again of the Spirit of God. Remember that the seed of eternity begets a line of believers with a seed of life forevermore, which is exactly what the prophet said in Psalm 133, verse 3. That's another place that speaks of this. Because the prophet in Psalm 133, verse 3, it was prophesied that there would be, the blessing would be released. And that blessing is eternal life, life forevermore. Another place in the Old Testament that speaks of eternal life. Spiritually, it works in a similar fashion that you have the seed of eternal life from Jesus that is now implanted into a repentant sinner and that is sired in them and they become what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.17 is a new creation. They are a brand new person 
In other words, they're like a new baby that was just born spiritually. Hallelujah. They are now born of the Holy Spirit of God through Jesus' work. He is the only begotten of the Father. And He is the one that can birth that in them and pass them from spiritual death to spiritual eternal life. They are born again by the Spirit of God. So the way it works is the Spirit of God takes the living seed containing eternal life from the Father of eternity, Jesus Christ, and implants it in the heart of a repentant sinner, thereby saving them and giving them eternal life that overcomes that second death or the, or the spiritual death. So since this is the event that allows one's name to be written in the Lamb's Book of Life, what is that event? When they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, repent of their sins and call out to Him, and He, he gives them a brand new heart, and He makes them a brand new person, and they're like a brand new baby in Jesus Christ. That's the event. So now we want to know, lastly, when and how are the names written, and who is it that writes them? And the Old Testament again tells us that. And I want you I want to read to you. You can turn if you want to Psalm 87. I encourage you to read this chapter yourself. But I'm particularly going to point out in Psalm 87 here the author, the sons of Korah are attesting to this exact same thing that Jesus is talking about. This book, the Lamb's Book of Life, this being born again, and, and how the names are written. This passage tells us from the Old Testament, which is why Nicodemus should have known it. In Psalm 87, verses 5 and 6, it says this, And of Zion it will be said, This one and that one were born in her, and the Most High himself shall establish her. The Lord will record... When he registers the people, this one was born there. Hallelujah. So, we see here some more information about how this, how does somebody's name get written in and who does the writing. First of all, we need to understand it's speaking of Zion. Now, Zion refers to Jerusalem. It's an Old Testament reference to Jerusalem. And you have to understand that the word Jerusalem in Hebrew is Yerushalayim. And even that very word is plural. Jonathan Kahn has pointed that out to us, as have others. So even the very word is plural. It's speaking of two. There is an earthly Jerusalem in Israel, and there is a heavenly Jerusalem where God lives. Hallelujah. And so the second one, Hebrews 12, 18 through 24, tells us it calls it Mount Zion, that heavenly Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem. That's what it's speaking of. And then in Psalm 87, verse 5, we see that it is from Zion, from this heavenly Jerusalem, it will be said, this one and that one were born in her. Or guess what? Remember, Jesus said you must be born again, born from above, born from above, born from the heavenly Jerusalem born from the heavenly Jerusalem. Hallelujah. 
perfectly coupling with what Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3, 3, and here what's written in Psalm 87. This one was born from there, born from there, born in her. Notice what else it tells us in verse 6 of Psalm 87. The Lord will record when he registers the people. He writes the names himself. It's his own special book. It's his own special registry. It's like his family album. His family album. It contains his citizens, his citizenry. And it's his special book. That's why it's called the Lamb's Book of Life. It's the Lamb of God who writes the names in there. Every person who believes in him, every repentant sinner, Jesus takes a pen, his own blood, his finger, whatever, I don't know, and he writes your name in his special book, his family album. It's a registry of his people, everyone who's been born again with eternal life. He registers them that they are born from above. And this is that book that Daniel the prophet also read, referred to, that those whose names were found written there. Oh, hallelujah. We see how born again in this special book was prophesied and attested to by three different Old Testament wishes, witnesses, excuse me, Isaiah, the sons of Korah, and Daniel as well as the author of Psalm 133. Both, all of those, attest to this concept of being born again and, and names being written in the Lamb's special book of life. Hallelujah. And I want to lastly leave you with this, or this is one of my final passages. In Luke chapter 10, verse 17 through 20, Jesus has sent his 70 disciples out to minister to people. This was sort of like on-the-job training. They were getting their apprenticeship. And so he sends them out. And in Luke chapter 10, verse 17, they come back and it says this, Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in, the, in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice, because your names are written in heaven. Where are they written in heaven? In the Lamb's Book of Life. Who wrote them there? Jesus wrote them there. How did they get there? When they gave their heart and their life to the Lord Jesus Christ and became born again. And they became his disciple. He said, that's what you have a reason to rejoice about. Beloved, we have, believers have a reason to rejoice because our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And did you know Paul also speaks just briefly about this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 3. He's speaking about some women there so that, so that we need to understand the whole of Scripture also speaks about men, women, boys, girls. It doesn't matter. 
They're all written there, just the same. Everybody has the same salvation. And Paul speaks about certain women whose names are written there. So the Lamb's Book of Life forms, it's the family album, so to speak, of the Lord Jesus himself. But it also forms the foundational citizenship registry for everyone who will enter heaven, all who are born again. Those are the only ones that will be there. Remember, in Revelation, you can sum it up into this very thing. There are two groups of people, those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life and those whose names are not. Beloved, even if your name is not there right now, it can be. It can be. Through this exact same process that I just described to you, if you will repent of your sins, if you will recognize that you are a sinner and you are subject to the wages of sin, and you are living a life of spiritual death right now, separated from God. But if you will call out to him, if you will recognize that, truly repent of your sin, call upon his name, ask him to forgive you for your sins, and accept his finished work on the cross for you. Beloved, the spirit of the living God can sire inside of you in an instant that eternal seed, and you can be born again, and you can have eternal life right now, right where you are, in your living room, in your bedroom, wherever you may be, in your car, wherever you may be. You can call upon him, and immediately he will accept you, he will love you, he will give you new life, he will give you eternal life, and he will personally write your name in his Lamb's Book of Life, his own family album, his own special book. Hallelujah. I invite you to do that now in Jesus' name because he loves you and he wants you to be a part of his family. In Jesus' name, I encourage you to do that now if you don't know him. Praise be to God. May you know that you are loved by the Father. And may those of you whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life know and have assurance that that is your reason to rejoice. And may you find new comfort in knowing that and in remembering that. May God bless you tonight. And I hope you can join me again. God bless you.